Kellen Taylor, welcome to the Morning Shakeout podcast. Hi, thank you. So we're what, like five days removed from your big breakthrough at Grandma's Marathon. Congratulations, by the way. How are you feeling? Um, I feel really good. Um, I kind of came off of the race in pretty good shape. Just a few little niggles here and there, but kind of all engines firing, which is encouraging. When will you start running again? I'll probably start next week. Uh, Coach Ben and I haven't really talked about it yet, but usually for our marathon segments or breaks, we take a full week down. And then the next week, we kind of build in a couple of run days, just like four miles, um, and then get into like actual training again the following week. Okay. Now, I saw a video of you crossing the finish line, and not long after you finished the race, your husband came over to you, and I, I saw a picture afterward with you and your daughter. What did they say to you right after the race? Um, well, my daughter didn't say anything, but she was really excited. Um, if you happen to see, well, one of the videos that I saw, she was jumping up and down as they were calling my name like as I was coming through the finish, so that was really neat. Um, but my husband was like, you did it. Like you finally did it. Um, cause he obviously knows my, right. my goals and my aspirations and kind of knew that that was kind of what I'd been looking for for so long. So, I mean, take me through the race itself. You won by six minutes. Like how aware were you of the other competitors in the field or were you just like locked into your race plan and you could, couldn't have cared less what was going on around you? I was kind of just locked into what I was doing. I honestly didn't know how far back people were. Um, I kind of figured that nobody was super close because, you know, you can kind of tell from the crowd um, mm -hmm. when they're cheering. And, you know, I think from the beginning, I kind of was like, focus on yourself, focus on what you're doing. Don't worry about what everybody around you is doing. You feel good. Um, you know, just work on your mechanics and chipping off each mile after the next. And what was the plan going into the race? It wasn't what I did. <laughs> Um, the, ben, the day before the race, Ben was like, you know, let's have a range. Um, we don't usually do that in a marathon where we have a really expansive range, mm -hmm. but he was like, the course kind of rolls a little bit. So your miles might vary. Um, so let's have a range of like 532, which is 225, like a four pace, I think, mm -hmm. um, all the way up to 542. So that was the plan. And then just kind of you know, I wanted to win. I wanted to PR. I wanted to set the course record. So those things were all in the plan as well. Um, but I think the, the pace plan kind of went out the window as we got started. Um, we just kind of started rolling through those miles pretty fast, um, kind of keying off of a couple of the guys that were at the front, uh, well, at the front of our pack. And, you know, they were clipping away at uh, sub 530s. And I did actually take splits. And I was like, okay, um, little faster than I want to go, but you know, I'm just going to roll with it. Cause I feel good as I should. Cause I'm, you know, I'm like four or five miles into a marathon, but mm -hmm. just kind of having faith, I guess. And when you came through halfway, were you pretty excited at that point? Were you worried about the early hot start or you had, had you settled into a pretty good groove by that point? Um, I, I felt really good at the halfway. Um, I was a little annoyed when we hit mile 13 because we, hit it in, that mile specifically was like a 558 um so significantly slower than the ones before and i guess i hadn't i didn't even realize how slow it was until i split my watch and then i was out of there and i think the next mile i split 524 25 um and I, that's when we saw the break in the group as well so after that mile it was just down to me and one other guy who we just kind of i ran next to for the next handful of miles um, 
Were you worried about any of the other women at that point or were they long gone? Um, you know, like I said, I really wasn't focusing on what they were doing. Mm -hmm. I think that if they had challenged me, I definitely had plenty in the tank to where, you know, I knew that I was going to be okay doing what I was doing and even pressing a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't really the biggest focus, um, of my race. It was more so just focusing on myself and my own mechanics and race plan. Yeah. And at what point, at what point of the race did you, did it finally settle in that you were about to do something big and make a huge breakthrough? Um, I think that with three or four miles to go, uh, I felt really strong, you know, a marathon though is sneaky and you could feel great for one minute. And then the next minute you can just be falling apart. Um, but I knew that I had kind of built in enough time having enough sub five thirties and, um, stuff like that, that I could roll through the finish, you know, those last couple of miles, um, off target pace and still be fine and have a good PR. And what was the feeling that you experienced when you crossed the line, you saw 224 on the clock and you realized that you had done it? Uh, first and foremost, just surprise. Um, you know, I knew that I was running fast, but I wasn't doing the math in my head. I'm not a math person. Um, you know, I knew that it was going to be a good time, but I didn't realize how good it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so surprise for sure. And then just relief. Um, you know, after dropping out of Boston, it was, you know, probably one of the biggest blows in my career, just not finishing a race and being a marathoner, you only get a couple to a couple of, uh, chances a year to prove yourself. And, you know, I had kind of blown that one chance that I had already had this year and to be able to come back and redeem myself. Um, you know, it was just such a good feeling to have it go so well and feel like I redeemed myself and then some. And I want to get to Boston here in a bit, but after grandma's, I read one of the articles and you had a quote said, you can say that you're a 225 or 226 marathoner all day, but unless you actually do it, you're not. And this definitely puts me on the map. So, you know, I'm wondering like where on the map of us women's marathoning, would you put yourself now? Um, you know, I think I'd put myself at the back of the top tier. Um, American women's American marathoning is just on fire right now. Uh, so many of the top, top six that are ahead of me are still active and running phenomenally. So, you know, it definitely doesn't put me as a favorite going into 2020, but I think that it definitely puts me in contention. So, you know, that's a good feeling, but it also keeps me kind of hungry because, you know, I still have a lot of work to do to get up to their level. Um, let's go back to Boston. Now you just alluded to how it was a disappointing day for you, most disappointing of your career to that point and you dropped out like how are you feeling heading into that race like even with the forecast looking as bad as it was and and everyone like having a doom and gloom uh you know sort of outlook on the weather and how that was going to affect the race like what was your mindset in the week or so heading into it knowing what you were in for well i'm a pretty confident person um i don't ever go into a race like expecting it to go bad um i think that's not a very good mindset Um, so, you know, I kind of went into it like I do any other race, like just be tougher than your circumstance. I think I even tweeted that and then I Mm -hmm. dropped out, but, um, you know, I went in like thinking that I could run really fast, thinking that I could put myself in contention to do something really special. And, you know, it just didn't happen, which was really unfortunate at the time, but, you know, maybe in retrospect, it ended up kind of being a blessing in disguise. Um, 
but yeah, it certainly, certainly wasn't the day that I was looking for, but it kind of makes me hungry um, to go back there and get some redemption in that form. Sure. Take me through the race itself, that being Boston. Like, What was the general feeling in the pack early on as you were going through the early miles? Chaos. <laughs> that, was kind of, that was kind of like the whole, that was the whole race. It just seemed like chaos. Nobody knew what was going on. We were running super slow. Um, my face was frozen, like <laughs> in like an awkward way. And like, I don't know, everybody's body just seemed to be shutting down in a way. Um, and we weren't that far in, you know, I mean, I dropped before the halfway and this is kind of what I picked up from it. I don't even know what it was like towards the end. I just, I can't even imagine it. Um, but yeah, everybody signed, kind of seemed to be like in a panic, um, kind of a, a silent panic. So, yeah. And I mean, with the exception of Des, why do you think so many of the elite women struggled so much this year on the day? I mean, obviously the weather was terrible, but have you given it any more thought since then? You know, I, I honestly don't really know like why it affected some people more than others. Um, you know, there's so many different things that could come into play in that aspect, but you know, I don't consider myself to be like, you know, a super waist-like runner. Um, I'm pretty strong. I feel like I have a little bit of mass on me, uh, more so than some of the other women. And, you know, I dropped before most of them. Um, so, you know, saying that body weight played an issue, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, you know, you can't control how your body reacts to certain situations sometimes. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but good for the women that were able to uh, push through it and perform well. What were you feeling when you pulled off the course? Like, how were your emotions at that time? Um, I didn't really have any emotions at the time just because I was kind of in little, I mean, not necessarily a panic, but for me, it was more so about like, I need to get warm because I was so thinking cold. Like, yeah, survival. Mode. I'd never been that cold in my life. Sure. Um, you know, I'm from Wisconsin, yeah. so it's not like it's a foreign thing to me. I'm used to being cold and like running in super cold weather. Um, but yeah, I just, I had never been that cold. So continually just like shaking and being tense was kind of all that I was thinking about and trying to not do that because it was starting to hurt. And once you got warm, like in the day and in, in the days following the race, once you had time to sort of absorb it a little bit more, like what were your thoughts at that point? And had you and coach Ben talked about where you would go next or were you just kind of like trying to figure out like what the heck happened out there? Well, I know what happened out there. Um, but you know, it was definitely disappointment was the biggest thing that I felt like I just felt like a failure, um, even though it really wasn't in my control. I just felt like I had failed at something because I wasn't able to actually finish. Um, and the day, like, I think the next day, the day after Boston, I was texting with Ben and I was like, okay, so what can I do now? Because I feel like I have all this fitness and I didn't get to use any of it. You right. know, I ran half of a race and we were talking about doing the half champs, um, the 25 K champs, just a couple of different races that were coming up, but none of those were really getting me excited. Um, they were kind of filling the space, but they weren't getting me excited. Mm -hmm. So he uh, brought up grandma's and he was like, so what do you think about that? And I was like, that actually makes me excited. Um, you know, I could actually see where my marathon fitness was. Um, it was certainly a unique route to get there, um, but it certainly was able to showcase my fitness better than 
any other race that I could have chosen. Yeah. And there were, I mean, two months between Boston and grandma. So it's like, you can't just, you know, wait a couple of days and then just race again. You've got to get back to training. So what did that look like in the, in the time between Boston and when you got to grandma's in those, in those two months of training? It was pretty unique. Um, it was definitely different than any other segment that we had done before. Um, and rightfully so it needed to be, uh, we took the normal time off. I took pretty much a whole week off after Boston. I was sore because my body was so tense for so long. Um, and then the following week I slowly started running again and then slowly built up. I think that I hit 108 miles with my highest mileage, um, for this segment and probably topped out a little bit or, uh, averaged a little bit under a hundred. So definitely lower mileage than I had going into other segments. And the workouts that we did were also completely different. We focused a lot more on doing shorter, quick stuff, so mm-hmm. more 10K specific. And, you know, I, th- I think that I only had, or at least I consider myself to have only had about three marathon specific workouts. In that time from Boston to grandma's? Yes. Yeah. So how are you feeling heading into grandma's once you started to kind of taper back the mileage and freshen up for the race? Did you feel like you still had that reserve of fitness that you had going into Boston or did you feel like maybe you were a little less sharp? Do you think like you lost anything during that time? Um, I'm not really sure if I lost anything, but going into grandma's, I was definitely more uncertain. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't know where the workouts that we had done would put me with the marathon. Uh, for Boston, you know, we were doing so much, so much specific marathon work that I knew that I was ready to run a marathon Mm -hmm. for grandma's. We kind of did just, it was different. Um, you know, I think my longest long run was 20 miles, um, which is pretty short for what we're used to. And I just didn't know if my body, I knew that I could run for a long time, probably going at a decent clip, but I didn't know if I was going to make it the full 26 miles at the pace that I wanted to. Um, so I was confident, but a little bit uncertain. Gotcha. Do you feel like you were able to just draw upon a lot of the work that you did during the Boston buildup too, in addition to the specific work you did just in that short two month period before grandma's or in between races? Absolutely. I mean, I think that that was kind of the big, big thing was that it rolled over. I mean, you don't lose your fitness after you finish a race. Like it doesn't just disappear. You still have that fitness bank. So that was one of the big things that I kind of took from Boston as a positive was I had done all the work, you know, I had a fantastic segment, things went great, just the race didn't. Um, so I had a lot of confidence going into this grandma segment. Um, but, you know, having, being able to do the last two marathon specific workouts that we did, um, really helped me to see that I could maybe get up to the level that I thought that I was at for Boston. And that segues pretty well into my next question. Your coach, Ben Rosario, told me a couple of years ago in an interview that you are just super confident in yourself as an athlete. And I would agree with him. And those are his exact words. Where does that confidence come from? I don't know. I mean, I think that it's something that you just kind of, I don't know if you're born with it or if you just grow up with it, like learning how to be confident in yourself. But I've always kind of had it. Um, I've never been a person to think that just because somebody has a better PR than me, that they're going to beat me. Um, I think that, you know, it's important to have belief in yourself and your capabilities. Um, 
you know, you have to believe that you're going to do something great before it actually happens. Let's go back a few years to 2016. You were sixth at the marathon trials. Um, you did a lot of the early leading in that race before you eventually got overtaken. Um, what would you do differently if you were in that situation again? You know, I don't, I don't know. You know, there's so many like situations where you can go back and you can like, I don't know, play the devil's advocate and be like, well, if I had done this, then, you know, maybe I would have made the Olympic team, but Mm -hmm. you know, maybe it wouldn't have made a difference. Um, I think that when I ran the marathon trials, I think that I put myself out there and kind of gave it everything that I had. And I don't know if I really could have asked for a whole lot more. I think that I would have rather have done that than to just like hang back and just be complacent and never have made a move. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, that's how I like to race. And I don't think everybody agrees with it. And maybe strategically, it's not the best way to run. Um, but that's where I feel most confident. Yeah. Just putting yourself in a position to give yourself a shot. Right. And so a few months later, you ran the track trials and you were fourth in the 10,000, uh, one spot off of making the team. So it's like twice in a matter of you know, less than six months, you've, you've like tasted making an Olympic team, but you know, came up, you you were like, you came up the shortest of of anyone else. Like how much has that taste been like lingering in your mouth ever since? (laughs) It's such a bad taste. Um, you know, I think that the trial, the 2016 trials is something that I'm really proud of. Um, but it certainly wasn't the goal. It's not what I wanted. And you know, it's just, it's just more fuel to the fire, you know, it's just, uh, projecting me towards 2020, you know, kind of with like an extra fire underneath me because, you know, I want to be on that team. I don't want to be fourth. I don't want to be the person that sits at home and watches everybody and says, Hey, guess what? I was the alternate. If somebody got hurt, mm-hmm. um, you know, I want to be there in and on the action. All right. We're going to take a quick break because this episode sponsor has an important reminder for you. It's time to start thinking about your fall race schedule, especially if you're considering a half marathon or marathon. I know for me, I am heading to Richmond, Virginia to run the Markel Richmond Half Marathon as part of Anthem Richmond Marathon Weekend on November 10th, and I would love for you to join me. It'll be my first time to Richmond. I've heard nothing but amazing things about the event, and I'm super excited to be a part of it. I'm going to be hosting a shakeout run. I'll be at the expo. I might record an episode of the podcast and then I'll be running the race. So I'd love for you to join me. Um, Why Richmond? It's a great running town. Uh, The event provides amazing course support, enthusiastic spectators, beautiful views of the river, charming neighborhoods, and hopefully perfect fall weather. Um, If you're running the marathon, one of the best parts about Richmond is it's mostly flat, it's super fast, and it ends with a downhill finish on the scenic James River. Um, After you cross the finish line, regardless of what event you run, you'll be rewarded with plenty of unique finisher swag and a rockin' post-race party. Um, Richmond was recently named a top 20 Boston qualifier. It's known to produce PRs for runners of all speeds. Runner's World uh, even dubbed it as America's friendliest marathon. So if you're looking for something shorter uh, than the full marathon distance, they've got you covered. You can join me in the Markel Richmond Half Marathon or even the VCU Health 8K all of which take place on the same day. That is November 10th. So you got plenty of options. Use the code MORNINGSHAKEOUT when you sign up and save 10 bucks on your entry fee. The price goes up on July 1st, so get in now and start training today. I hope to see you in Richmond on November 10th. Now let's get back to the show. So continuing to go back um, to 
two years prior to that, 2014, is when you joined um, the Nazalite squad. And I mean, you've improved kind of across the board in all different events, just looking at the numbers and the times that you've posted. Um, but how is Kellen Taylor today different than the Kellen Taylor that joined Nazalite four and a half years ago? Um, well, I'm a marathoner. <laughs> I wasn't a marathoner when I joined the team. I don't even know if I had thought about doing a marathon when I joined the team. Um, and I think that, you know, I have learned, I don't know if Ben would agree with this, but I think that I've learned how to, uh, pace myself a little bit better mm-hmm. in practices. Um, and even in races to some extent, um, just kind of trying to stay within myself more. So not everything needs to hurt. Like, I don't know, you don't need to go as hard as you can for as long as you can in every single practice. Sometimes it's just about hitting the pace and feeling comfortable. Um, and I think that's a pretty big difference. When you joined Nazali, like when did that conversation start to start training for the marathon? When did the idea first pop into either your head or Coach Ben's head? And who initiated that conversation? I mean, it wasn't too long after I joined, I suppose. Um, I'm pretty sure that it was in the summer of 2014. Um, you know, obviously with the Olympics coming up, you kind of want to try and give yourself the best shot you can. And in order to do that, you know, if you spread yourself out along a few different distances, it certainly gives you more chances. Um, you know, I didn't know how the marathon was going to go. So it's kind of a, I don't know, taking a chance, but it was certainly a chance that was worth taking. And now would you consider yourself a marathoner or do you still have interest in being competitive at shorter distances? Um, I mean, I, I still like to consider myself a jack of all trades. Um, whether that's true or not, I don't, I don't really know, but you know, it's fun to get down there in distance and do different things and race a little bit more. Um, like I said, with the marathon, you only get a couple of shots a year. So that's kind of boring, honestly. Um, it's fun to race. It's fun to get out there and like talk to the community and whatever race you're city you're in for a race and I don't know just doing different races like before Boston we did three races and three consecutive weeks and it was a lot of fun um I hadn't had the opportunity to do something like that in a really long time and it was fun to get my my uh miler legs back and try and crank out something fast and you know then buckle down and train for a marathon what's your favorite distance to race personally um well I have two completely opposite ends of the spectrum. I really like the mile. Um, that's what I ran in college. And I think that I'm always kind of a miler at heart. Uh, is it my sweet spot? Definitely not, but it's definitely a fun distance. And, you know, it's one that I really like to do whenever I get the opportunity. And then the marathon, you know, I think that it's just a, it's a different kind of grind. And Mm -hmm. I think that I really thrive off of the workouts that we have to do in order to be successful at it. And, the race itself is always a just kind of a, a mental challenge as long as as long as a physical ta- challenge. Going back to Nazalite and your setup there in Flagstaff, like how important has that long-term relationship, and I consider four and a half years long-term at this point, with your coach Ben Rosario, Ben, for your overall development as an athlete? I mean, I think that it's super important. You know, I think a lot of the most successful people that you see, they've had their coach for years and years and years. 
Um, you know, it's not necessarily seeing results immediately. Um, it's having faith in the training that you're doing um, in the philosophy that your coach has, and then just like believing that it's going to happen at some point. It may not happen, you know, in a month. It may take four and a half years. But, you know, if you can stick it out and just keep chipping away, it'll happen. Yourself aside, we've been seeing a lot of great results from your group, especially over the last year, but in the past few years. How important is that just group training environment and that group dynamic to, you know, pushing all of you to that next level as an elite athlete? I mean, I think we have a really special group. Um, you know, I think everybody probably says that, but I think that it's really true. Um, we have such a talented group of people and we all want to see each other succeed so much. And sometimes, you know, we're racing each other, but it's a kind of a neat thing when you can race somebody, get beat by them and still be excited for them as much as you would be excited for yourself. Um, you know, there, it's just a, it's a, it's a good setup. Um, and I think that we all get along really well and, you know, it's nice to have people to work out with too. Um, the last, the, basically this whole year, I've kind of been on my own just because I've been doing different things. Um, but everyone, whenever I do get to jump in with the other girls, it's really nice to just not have to, I can turn my brain off and just kind mm -hmm. of share the work with everybody else. Yeah. I mean, you just alluded to that, you know, you were training for Boston and then grandma's this spring and like Alephine who joined the team earlier this year has been racing at shorter distances. And then Steph Bruce ran London and looking ahead two years, I mean, you're all going to be preparing for, you know, this one race in, in February of 2020 in Atlanta together. Like, are, is that something you're, you know, personally like looking forward to and how, you know, how much will that help all of you to have three of you who, you know, are competing at a very high level all have, you know, I would argue a shot to make the team being able to, you know, just keep each other honest um, and push each other to be your best in February of 2020. Um, I mean, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, a lot of the marathon segments that I've had have been solo. I might have a little bit of help here and there from a couple of guys, um, but most of them have been solo. Uh, Steph and I, though, got to do New York together and just having her there, like somebody there suffering at the same time as you is just, it's kind of a invaluable thing. Um, you know, and some days you're on, some days they're on, and it's good to be able to I don't know, pull strength from each other and just help push when we need pushed. So switching gears a little bit, marathoning, running, training is not your only thing. Last year you were competing, competing, completing coursework, I should say, to be a firefighter. Um, and I know there was a little bit of tension between you and Coach Ben going into mm -hmm. New York last year as you were, you know, trying to do what you needed to do to be ready for that race, but also to be ready, you know, for you know, for your exam. Um, so I guess I want to dig into that a little bit, but my first question is what is it about firefighting that appeals to you? I mean, it's such a cool job. Um, you know, I really, I, I don't know why I originally, why the job popped into my head, but it just did one day and I immediately just like it clicked and I was like, yes, that's it. This is what I should be doing. Um, I just think that you know, it's a job that's ever changing. You're never doing the same thing. It keeps you on your toes. Um, you can never be complacent. You always have to be learning. Um, and 
I mean, it's something that I can see myself just doing and being happy with for the duration of my working life. And for me, one of my, my biggest goals in life is to never have a job that I don't love. And, you know, I'm, I'm 31 years old, almost 32 and so far so good. So, you know, if I could have that carry on for the next 30, 35 years, then I think that would be a, a pretty special thing. Has it been challenging to juggle that desire to pursue firefighting with, you know, your current pursuit as a professional athlete? It has and it hasn't. Um, you know, I went back and forth. When I first started this firefighting thing, I decided to get my associate's degree for it um, just as a way to kind of put myself into the career and just learn about it, um, but not actually jumping in with both feet. It was just a way to kind of experience it without working. Um, but the more that I've gotten into it and, you know, now I'm done with everything, I just feel like I need to be working. I want to be working um, because it's just something that gets me so excited. Um, It's something that I'm just super passionate about and that I don't really want to wait another year and a half or two years to start doing. Um, Unfortunately, you know, it's kind of getting to the point where I don't really have time um, to get hired, be on probation for a full year and then um, still train for a marathon. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that I can do it all. Don't get me wrong. Okay. Um, I think Ben does not necessarily think that. <laughs> um, but I think that I can do that. It's more so just the way that the hiring works. Sure. When you get hired, you're on probation for a full year and you have no flexibility um, with your schedule in that first year. And, you know, if that runs into 2020, I need the flexibility. So I don't know if it's in the cards before 2020, but certainly afterwards. And I will continue running. So Yeah. I mean, from the outside looking in, they don't seem to be very complimentary careers, but I've never even bothered to attempt fighting a fire. So I have, you know, <laughs> I have I have no firsthand experience in that. So I could, you know, I could totally understand that. One thing that was really interesting is, you know, you were saying a little while ago um about what a what about firefighting appeals to you? And it's like, it keeps you on your toes. Things are constantly changing. You've got to, you know, think quick and make decisions. Like how much of that, um, or how many of those skills translate over into, you know, racing and training for running? You know, I had never really thought about that, um, as being something that was similar, but it certainly is. I mean, in a race, you have to make quick decisions sometimes. And, you know, if the pack takes off, you need to decide if you're going to go with them or not. Um, and, you know, that decision could make the difference between winning a race or losing it. Um, so, yeah, they certainly they certainly uh, connect there. Um, I think the biggest thing, though, that brings them together, because like you said, there really isn't a whole lot, um, is that you are constantly testing your limits, um, pushing yourself beyond, some, beyond where it wants to go, um, especially for me, just because, you know, I'm not one of those huge guys that's a firefighter. Um, you know, I'm not 200 pounds, six foot three, I'm five, six, you know? So, you know, I have to definitely work a lot harder than a lot of those guys. And I do have to kind of push myself to its limits when I'm doing some of those physical aspects of the job. You know, one thing I I also just thought of too, do you think that contributes to some of your fearlessness when you're 
racing. I mean, you're not afraid like you were at the trials in 2016 to just stick your nose in it and see what happens. And at grandma's to just be like, you know what? I want to try to win this race, set a personal best, break the course record. I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. Do you think that's another one of those, you know, skills that kind of plays back and forth between firefighting and competitive running? Oh, definitely. I mean, you certainly can't be a wallflower um, being a firefighter. So I think that you have to be bold um, in, or, in order to do great things or be successful at things. So, Okay. A few more questions before we wrap up here. Um, going back to grandma. So you negative split, ran 224, big personal best. You win the race. You break the course record. Um, so it's a big breakthrough on a number of levels. First question related to that. Like, what is the best tool that you bring to the table? as a competitive athlete? Um, I think it's my, my drive, um, my relentlessness. I think that when I want something, I pursue it relentlessly. And I think that being in professional running, that's something that you have to have, um, you know, because you're going to fail more times than you don't, or at least I do. (laughs) Um, And in order to be successful, you have to continually just keep trying and trying and trying until you finally don't fail. Second part of that question, where can you still improve? Oh, I've got lots of places. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm not the most proactive person when it comes to recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to kind of be doing things and I don't like to nap. Um, I don't like to foam roll. I don't like to do weights. Um, So... (laughs) There's kind of a lot. Um, So I think maybe trying to incorporate some of those things into my training could definitely make a difference. Um, That and diet. I mean, I think everybody could clean that up a little bit, um, myself included. So, And with a lot of the recovery stuff, I mean, I imagine you do some of it. It's just that you just don't like to do it. I I really don't, honestly. Um, <laughs> I could lie and say yes, but no, I honestly do not. Um, I think the most that I do is I roll out my back um, every once in a while. But outside of that, I kind of, I have like five foam rollers and <laughs> I don't use them. I don't know why I keep buying them, but I have them. Yeah, no, I appreciate your honesty there. I think there are a lot of <laughs> listeners who could, who could totally relate to that. Um, two more questions for you. I saw on Instagram that your daughter has been present at all of your marathons. So what does it do for you or what does it mean for you to know that she's there when you cross the finish line or that she's just there, period? Yeah, it makes it makes a big difference. I think that one of the lessons that I kind of want her to learn, like through my my athletics, is that, you know, you could get knocked down. You can like you can fail over and over again. But as long as you keep getting up, like you will be successful. And I think that that kind of like came to fruition, you know, over the last weekend where, you know, she saw me not make the Olympic team. She saw me, you know, take, I don't know, some random place in a race. Um, She saw me drop out of Boston and then she saw me win. So that was a really cool thing. Have you guys talked much about your win at grandma's since last Saturday? My daughter and I? Yeah. No, no. no, but she was really excited, um, which was fun to see. Um, you know, she's she's eight, just turned eight. So she's kind of like, yeah, that's really cool. But, you know, let's go, I don't know, ride horses or something fun. 
yeah, the the idea of running hard for almost two and a half hours doesn't really translate yet. Right. Uh, yeah. And I mean, really, honestly, it's not that exciting of a sport to watch, um, which, you know, I don't I don't blame her. She doesn't want to sit and stare at a TV for, you know, two and a half hours. So I get it. Last question. What I mean, kind of just playing off of that, what's exciting you in running right now? Um, just where Americans, the American women have went, you know, I think that it's beyond anything that we've seen here in a long, long time. You know, if you look at the top time, top 10 times, um, for the marathon, the 10,000, like everything is just kind of elevated, which is super exciting. I think that, you know, it's kind of putting us on the map, you know, we're winning world marathon majors, um, doing all sorts of amazing things. So, that's really exciting to see and, you know, hopefully aspire to get up to that level as well. Kellen, thank you so much for your time yeah. today. Enjoyed the conversation. Before we split here, where can my listeners follow you online and keep up with your training and racing and everything that you'll be doing here over the next couple of years leading up to the 2020 trials? Um, you can use my Instagram or my Twitter, which is Kellen Taylor, or go to Nazalit. Excellent. Kellen, thank you so much. Thank you. And that's a wrap on this week's show. Many thanks to this episode's sponsor, the Anthem Richmond Marathon, which takes place in Richmond, Virginia on November 10th. If you're looking for a marathon or even a half, maybe an 8K, Richmond provides phenomenal course support, great fall weather, and supportive spectators. When you run Richmond, you get it all. Let me tell you a little bit about the marathon features a mostly flat, fast course. It's a top 20 Boston qualifier, and it ends with a beautiful downhill riverfront finish. Runner's World called it one of America's friendliest marathons. Actually, no, they called it America's friendliest marathon. It is the best. What's not to love about it? So start planning your trip today. Use the discount code MORNINGSHAKEOUT. That's all one word, all lowercase letters, to save $10 on your registration fee. The price goes up on July 1st, so get in now while the getting's good. Best part, I will be there running the half marathon and hosting all kinds of other fun events throughout the weekend. There's going to be an actual morning shakeout run, and I'd love to see you there and share some miles with you. So a big thank you to Richmond, the Anthem Richmond Marathon, for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. And a big thanks to all of you who are listening into this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to support the show, easiest thing you can do is subscribe to the Morning Shakeout on Apple Podcasts, wherever you consume your audio content, and leave a rating and a review. Only takes a minute, but it will help other listeners discover the show, and it makes a big difference. Um, you can also support my work directly on Patreon by going to themorningshakeout.com/support. Thank you to all of you who have already done so; it means a lot to me. And finally, a shout out to my audio engineer, John Isaac of BearsRecords.com, who takes care of all of my editing needs and helps this show sound as good as it does. Dude is the man; he saves me a lot of time and hassle. So thank you, John. All right, that's all I've got for now. Until next time, I'm Mario Fraioli, and thank you for listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast.